I'm going to read the first few verses of John chapter 11. I'll ask you to follow along silently as I read in your hearing. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's reading the first five verses. I think verses that introduce us to the emphasis this evening. The home folks know, but let me say it for the visitor's sake. I've been preaching in these services on some of the character clusters of the Bible. Uh, there are others, others than what we've used, but I emphasized on our first evening together uh, some thoughts on the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you don't think of Shadrach by himself. They're all three together. They're clusters, character clusters. And I emphasize because of their fiery furnace experience that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the God of our fires, of our trials, of our conflicts. I'm glad I don't have to face the fires alone, aren't you? But he manifests himself in our fiery furnace experiences. Then last night, I felt the Lord was so gracious to us in the service. I tried to preach on the God of Peter, James, and John. Often where you find one of those characters, you find the others. We looked at three specific places last night. And because they were brought into this special uh, intimacy with Christ that the other disciples apparently did not know. My emphasis was the God of Peter, James, and John is the God of our fellowship. He wants you and me to, to join the inner circle movement. If you're going to be a part of a clique, and most folks are, unfortunately, make sure you're part of that inner circle clique. Amen. That uh, little group that wants to fellowship with Jesus more than anything else. Tonight, for a few minutes, I'd like to use this very familiar account in John chapter 11 and preach on the subject, the God of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And because Lazarus represented the family's future as the breadwinner, as the male figure, 
uh, in this ancient setting. I want to refer to the God of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who miraculously brought Lazarus back from the dead. I want to call him the God of our future. When our future seems to be sick, and even perhaps our hopes die, and the horizon looks rather bleak, I'm glad that he is the God who holds tomorrow in his hands. He's the God of our future. And so, instead of tracing this little family of Bethany through other texts, let's just bog down here in chapter 11 of John's Gospel for a few moments. Let me make just a couple of applications before we come to the text. You may not have had a loved one like Lazarus die, but you may have had sickness and death in a friendship. Someone who was very dear to you may have done you wrong. Or it may involve a marriage relationship. We hear it almost every day, do we not? And every family, it seems, is affected by the problems in the home in our era. It may have involved your hopes, maybe on the job. Uh, something that you just knew was going to happen, and then you watched it seemingly wilt and die in front of you. It, it may involve your health. It may involve your children or your grandchildren. You had such great expectations. And then all of a sudden you found out that they were made out of the same stuff that you're made out of. And uh, failure was so manifest, sickness and death of sorts. I'd like to use Lazarus as a picture of those hopes, those futures, those tomorrows that sometimes fade away, get sick and die. Uh, let's begin with uh, Christ. His work in this situation. We know that Mary and Martha sent him news about Lazarus' sickness. But by the time the Lord Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead and in the grave four days. And so their future is gone, so to speak. It's, it's a very dark, dismal scene. And yet I'm interested in how the Lord Jesus worked in this situation. How can we apply what happened in Bethany to our situations, our future? I'm going to make three very simple observations from the chapter tonight. It's not a simple chapter. It's a very deep chapter. But I want to give you my simple little observations and I trust the Holy Ghost will apply them to our hearts. Let me say, first of all, if He's the God of our future, with what has wilted and died in our hearts, 
or in our lives, then number one, we must know something of his movement in our direction. He, he's not in Bethany, you see. He's not with the little family. They sent him news about Lazarus, but he didn't come when they thought he would come. And yet, we must be aware that though he may not do when we think he ought to do, that does not mean that he doesn't have us on his heart. And so we see, I want to trace it here in the text, we see his movement in our direction. Now please, I, I don't mean to suggest that we don't have the living Christ within us. Certainly we do. I'm talking about his providential operations. He, he must work where we are. And that's the idea I have in mind. First of all, his movement, his movement towards this situation in Bethany was not without forethought. In fact, he, he knew about it before they ever sent a message to him. Because he knows all things. Uh, he never has had to be informed. He does enjoy us bringing our burdens to him, however. And so he was very aware of this situation. And I might add, not only did he know about it, but he discussed it with his disciples. Uh, his movement in our direction is never without forethought. Now, the enemy has told me on several occasions, and I figure he's told you some of these things as well, that I, I was in a place God was just going to leave me there. God is just going to let you work your way out of this corner. But he's a liar and a father of lies. And when we may not be thinking about him, he's thinking about us. The Savior has us on his heart. He has us on his mind. And so I mention his movement in our direction is not without his forethought. And then may I add, secondly, his movement in our direction is not without his focus. He, he is not flippant about this situation. No, he did not go immediately. But as he explained later, it was for the glory of God. And so he has focused upon this situation. And he, he purposed to come late as far as their time framework was, was involved. And their thoughts were involved. And I, I, all of us have felt at times like, Lord, why aren't you here? Lord, where are you? And I believe Mary and Martha had that kind of mentality. Because the first thing Martha said when she saw Jesus is, Lord, if thou hast been here, our brother had not died. 
And then the first thing Mary said to him was, Lord, if thou hast been here, our brother had not died. I'm of the persuasion they've been talking like that at home. And so it just came out. Lord, where have you been? Why why are you late? But may I say, beloved, his movement in our direction is not without forethought. He knows it all. And it's not without focus. He has his eyes and his attention on your situation. One of my favorite verses for many years has been Psalm 34, 15, where the psalmist said, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. The idea there is that He's blocked out everything always, all four ways, and He has isolated His righteous people. He, he's blocked out everything else and his ears are zeroing in on the cries of his people. He has us in his focus tonight. And then, uh, may I mention furthermore, his movement in our direction is not only without, not without his forethought and not without his focus. But His movement in our direction is not without His familiarity. He knows where we live. He knows how to get there. He's very familiar with Bethany. He's been here at their house before. Can I remind you tonight again, He's come your way in days gone by. He's familiar with where you are. But Tom, this is a different situation. This is a different involvement. Ah, but his movement towards you is not without his familiarity. He knows your heart. He knows your uh, your burden. He, he feels and senses uh, your heaviness. And so we notice if there is any future, there must be His movement in our direction. I don't know about you, but I'm interested, vitally interested in the Lord helping me. Oh, I want Him to help you, but I I have needs myself. The songwriter put it in these words. Lord, while on others thou art calling, please don't pass me by. Ah, He knows where you are tonight. He knows where I am. Let me magnify secondly, as we think of Him as being the God of our future, not only do we need to understand His movement in our direction, but secondly, let me mention His ministry in our distress. Now when He arrived in Bethany, this was no enjoyable setting. You've got two sisters who are deeply mourning the loss of their brother. In fact, it's just mentioned here and Mary goes to crying. Martha, when Jesus arrived, she came out to talk to him. And I'm, I'm not so sure that it wasn't to come and 
straighten him out. Where have you been? You expect certain things out of us. We expect certain things out of you when it comes to our friendship. Well, of course, the Lord Jesus suppressed some of that. Uh, And he ministered in their distress. I am reminded in a new way that people are hurting. I told my wife a few weeks ago, she wanted to know how the service went, and I was telling her how God moved and helped us. And I told her, she wanted to know what I preached on. I told her, I said, honey, I really believe if I preached every night to hurting people, a different person each night would get help. There's so many hurting people. There's some of you sitting here tonight. You may have camouflaged it pretty well. But you have pain and hurt deep down inside. But I want to tell you the Lord Jesus is able to minister to us in our distress. When we're troubled and when we feel somewhat left in our misery. He not only comes where we are, but He ministers in our distress. Notice first of all what I'm calling the ministry of His Godhood. As soon as Martha said to Him, Lord, if Thou hast been here, Jesus said, uh, well, she went on to say, I know that He'll rise again at the resurrection. And Jesus said in verse 25, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, you're, You're looking at the resurrection. You're looking at the life. I I love this because I believe when he said I'm the resurrection, that statement says I can get him up. And the life, that statement says that I can keep him up. Away with all this cheap philosophy that God can save But you've got to keep yourself. I want to tell you the God who raises up is the God who keeps. That doesn't mean we're not responsible to to live holy. Certainly we are. But I want to tell you there's a ministry in His Godhood. Somebody say, oh, but you don't know my situation. No, but I know He's the great I Am. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Oh, I say, beloved, God is not some far off personage. He's right there where you are tonight. Or he's moving in your direction to reveal his God. I am. The resurrection and the life. Then there's not only the ministry of His Godhood in our distress. I am. Of course, you remember Martha, bless her heart, she was a good Baptist. She, She lived in the past one minute and in the future the next. Of course, I got an idea she'd make a good Methodist too. And a good church of God, too. And a good Presbyterian, too. 
Because all of us are prone to live in what happened yesterday or talk about what's going to happen when we get to heaven. And we miss the God of right now. She said beforehand, I know we'll see Him again in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And she had already said, where have you been? That's past tense. And she jumps to the future tense. And Jesus said, I'm right here. Right there. I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, bless His name. He's everything we need right where we are tonight. And He comes to show Himself and minister His Godhood in our distress. And then He not only ministered His uh, in His Godhood, I Am, but He ministered in His manhood. Mary was already weeping. And... Jesus asked to be brought to Lazarus' tomb. And as he was coming to the tomb, we have that memorable text, verse 35. Jesus wept. I don't know about you, but I appreciate somebody who at least attempts to try to show their sympathy. I know it's more difficult for some of us than others to show sympathy. But oh, here is the epitome, the embodiment, the essence of pity and sympathy. The Son of God, also the Son of Man, weeps along with Mary in her hour of crisis. It was written many years ago by Gordon Jensen. He weeps along with man and takes him by the hand. Tears are a language that God understands. What do I care what you think about my tears? What should you care what I think about your tears? When there's one seated at God's right hand. Who whipped himself over a broken heart. And so he ministers in his manhood. Now this may be more hazology than it is bibliology. But I, I have been intrigued with the fact that we're also told that as he was coming to the grave, he groaned in the spirit. And that word groan, this one time in the New Testament, this word groan indicates he snorted like a horse would snort. Well, I'm not an outdoorsman. Brother Eddie works for my brother. My brother is 700% outdoors. And uh, my idea of camping out is Holiday Inn Express. Uh, it doesn't excite me. Uh, I'd just soon have a T-bone as beanie weenies anytime. But uh, 
I asked my brother about this thing of a, a horse snorting. He's got horses. He's been building a house for good night, 15 years, log cabin, people coming in to just look at it. But that's not my way. I'd have borrowed the money and been in debt over my eyeballs. But he's had to do it all himself. He had a few people help him here and there. And he didn't like the way they did it and tore it out and redone it. And uh, his, all his timber on the inside of his log house, he cut himself out in the woods. And, and then with his horses and his sled, he pulled it out of the woods. And then he bought him a, a sawmill. And he cut it all up, let it all uh, dry out. Then he bought him a planer, and he planed it all down. And then he bought him a tongue and groove machine, and he tongue and grooved it all out. Uh, that's too much in, too, too involved for me. But he's very familiar with those horses. And I asked him about them. I said, what makes a horse snort? And he gave me several answers. He said, I, I've known a horse to snort when it gets afraid. He said, you take when I ride my horses in the, little, in the little parades around here. He said, sometimes the people will scare them and they'll snort uh, in fear. Or he said, even out at the barns, if a dog runs up or something, they, they weren't expecting it. They may snort out of fear. And uh, then he said, uh, it could be that uh, that they uh, are snorting because they're pulling a heavy load. Well, I, that's what I thought. And he, he explained to me that a horse may be—he may be really pulling hard, and, and then he'll snort, clear out his passage, his nose passages, so he can get more air and get under the load. Keep pulling. Well, I don't want to say Jesus is a horse, but the Holy Spirit gave us this term here. He snorted. I believe he got to Bethany and saw that they couldn't pull the load. And so he groaned in the Spirit. He got under the load and pulled it forward. Some of us, we think we, we can pull it, but when it all comes down, we reach a point where it bogs down on us. But hallelujah, he's able to get under the load and pull it for us. The ministry of his Godhood. I am the ministry of his manhood. He wept and he groaned. And then there's the ministry of his priesthood. He got to the sepulcher and he prayed. Now, this prayer really baffles me. But God's known to do that for us, isn't He? He's too big for our calculators and computers. But uh, I've got to thinking about Jesus praying. Now, He knows that Lazarus is going to come out of the grave, and yet He weeps. He knows that Lazarus is going to come out of the grave, and yet He groans. He knows that Lazarus is going to come out of the grave, and yet He prays. <laughs> And he knows what's going to happen in your experience and in mine. But he makes intercession for us anyhow. He's a 
faithful, great high priest. Jesus said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I, in fact, he he said in verse 42, And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. He said, Father, I'm not praying in unbelief. I'm praying because of their unbelief. And I, I want them to believe that thou hast sent me. Oh, beloved, can I remind you again tonight, Jesus not only moves into our scenes when our hearts are broken and heavy, but He ministers in that same atmosphere with His Godhood, through His manhood, and in His priesthood. He comes to comfort. He comes to assist. Now, my wife doesn't like me to say this. She says it makes people think I'm going to preach all night. I'm really not, but here's what I want to say. I've preached everything I've preached so I could now preach. Ah, uh, Let's come to verse 43 and following. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him! And let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, here it is, believed on him. Let me say lastly tonight, you can be certain that the God of our future will have movement in our direction. may not be when we thought he was coming. But he, he knows where we are. He's already thought it all through clearly. And he's familiar with our situation. He also will minister in our distress through his godhood and his manhood and his priesthood. He ministers to us and comforts us. But watch it now. If there is a future, there must not only be movement in our direction, and ministry in our distress, but there must be His manifestation in our dilemma. Now let's face it, we're looking at the impossible here. Lazarus is dead. And you know how we say things here in the South. We'll, we'll say it doubly, or we'll add something to it just to emphasize it. Like, we can't hit a ball, or the, we can't allow the fella to hit a ball over the fence. He's got to hit it slam over the fence, <laughs> or something like. You know how we are. And I found out in Mississippi, I uh, they've got different rhetoric down there. Anyhow, I love all those dear, dear people. Uh, but they say about somebody who died, not that he's dead, but he's graveyard dead. <laughs> Uh, you, you don't call that back. 
graveyard dead. That's what Lazarus is. He's out there in the sepulcher. He's not... There's no way for him to get up on his own. There's no way for Mary and Martha to bring him back. Their future looks totally hopeless. Ah, but the one who moves in our direction and the one who ministers in our distress manifests himself in our dilemmas. I say, beloved, first of all, there's his commanding manifestation. He didn't ask Lazarus to vote on it. He commanded him. Lazarus, come forward. In fact, the Bible said he said it with a loud voice. I've probably told y'all here before, a little girl came up to me. She was really special anyhow, but she came up to me and she sprinkled her nose. She said, why do you holler so loud? I just petted her on the head. I I knew she'd probably heard her mama say that coming to church. But if I'm ever justified, I'm justified in this text. Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. A commanding manifestation. But hold it, a conquering manifestation. I love this statement. This may be my favorite statement in this chapter. Look at verse 44. And he that was dead came forth. (laughs) He was dead. But he's no longer dead. Their future, their hopes, their tomorrows has experienced the miraculous power of God. And Jesus conquered their dilemma. Oh, I wish somebody here tonight could could believe that he's bigger than your situation. He's greater than your dilemma. He's more powerful than your despair. He commanded him to come forth, and he who was dead came forth. And then Jesus said, I want you to loose him and let him go. We might call this his completing manifestation. Now sometimes I have felt, Lord, I know you may raise that dead hope back up someday. I, I know, Lord, that that dream that seemed to die and, and that, that desire that seemed so alive, I, I know that you may raise it up. But I I know it'll probably never be like it once was. But Lazarus is brought back like he once was. The heart that had quit beating is beating again. The eyes which have quit seeing are seeing again. The hands which have quit working are working again. The legs which have quit walking are walking again. The lungs which have quit breathing are breathing again. This is the real Lazarus. And Jesus said, 
loose him and let him go. I want everybody to see he's back in time. The completing manifestation in our dilemma. Now, I don't know if God will raise up your marriage or raise up your dreams or raise up your hopes and aspirations. But if He's pleased to do it, He can. And He can put it back in working order. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to that power which worketh in us. Now, I've preached some out of John chapter 11 over the last 15 years. And, and this is the reason. And I, you forgive me for this personal emphasis in the end. But you, most of you remember, the Lord gave us a surprise package when my wife and I were 40 and 41. And we didn't think we could have any more children. And the Lord sent us a case of grace. And then when she was 14 months old, she couldn't walk. She fell over. And we were so frightened and scared. She didn't seem to be breathing properly. We called the doctor. And uh, another doctor was filling in for him. And he said to bring her to the office that early morning. And we did. And what a difficult hour it was. He said, we'll have to take her straight to the emergency room after he'd examined her. And then they ran several tests, and he called us in. And I'm not a pastor, so I don't witness this as often as a pastor would. But when that doctor goes to looking at the floor and having a little difficulty forming his words, I know it's not going to be good news. And he got us in a little room, our family, and told us what he had found. She had a, a mass inside of her of giant proportion. It was cutting, cutting off her air, cutting off her system, shutting everything down. It set up its own kingdom. He said, you'll have to go somewhere else like Baptist Hospital or Duke. And uh, we took her to Baptist Hospital that afternoon. Longest, I mean, I've driven back and forth to Winston-Salem in meeting. That's the longest drive I've ever made to Winston-Salem. Knowing the possibilities. I'd pass a cemetery and I'd see us out there bearing a baby. And I'd see a bicycle in a little boy's yard and I'd think she'll never get to ride one of those. There's an hour of bleakness and darkness. The blessing that had been so precious seemed to now become a curse around us, hanging on us. And they confirmed in Winston what had been stated in Hendersonville. And it looked as though there was no hope. Their little chest became more extant and they put more tubes and gave more medicine. And they didn't feel like they could do surgery until they could get the temperature down a little. And I couldn't sleep. My wife couldn't sleep. We couldn't eat or sleep. One night I went down to the little waiting room. I 
had awakened and maybe dropped off a little bit and I was afraid maybe I'd disturb the baby. I went off down to the waiting area and took out a Gideon Bible, laid it on the table. I said, Lord, I've told everybody else that you would be faithful in hours like this. And I need something from you. I need something to share with my wife. I need something that will stabilize my heart in this dark hour. And I wasn't in Bethany. I was in Winston-Salem. My name's not Mary Martha. It's Tom. But I want to tell you there in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, this verse was precious to me. It was for me. He said to me, I am the resurrection and the life. And God was pleased in His mercy. She has a few little problems with digestion and she fusses at her daddy the way he eats because she's just almost totally a vegetarian. And uh, I listen to her because I'm glad she's here. God's brought her up and blessed In fact, pray for us. She's got her driving permit. Stay off the road in Polk in Henderson County. I'm here to tell you tonight, the God of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is the God of our future. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I rest in that by His grace. You've been so kind. Would you stand with me, please?